When you came in this morning, hopefully you were handed one of these. There's some helpful information in there. Uh, if you, uh, and on the back we have some places to make notes. Uh, we have changed some of these Connect cards. You also should have had a Connect card inside, and we've changed them. So somebody told me, hey, Kurt, we have next steps that are on here, and we hand in the card. So I don't get to know what my next steps are, so we put the next steps on the bulletin now, which is very nice. Uh, but uh, I would like to ask you to fill one of these out. If you are not on our mailing list, let's get you on our mailing list. There's also a spot on the back for you to write down some prayer requests. You can tell us if it's a confidential one. If it's not confidential, we will send it out to other people to pray for you this week. If it's confidential, it'll just be me and the pastoral staff who will pray for you. There are some people, some crazy people, wearing orange shirts, you may have noticed, this morning. And I would like to call all the orange shirt people up here, and we can explain what's going on. So, World Vision Runners, come on up, we want to pray for you. Come on, all, come all the way up here, please. Dennis, can I put you on the spot to say what you're doing? Okay, I'm going to put Dennis on the spot, and he's going to tell us, what are you guys doing? I really have no idea. <laughs> we're running. Um, we're running for World Vision. World Vision um, does water projects mm -hmm. in Africa for, Africa for kids, and to help facilitate that, we're running to try and raise money to help them do what they do. And it's, uh, it's a pretty amazing project. It's... A blessing, obviously, for the kids in Africa that have to walk miles and miles and miles just to have fresh water, which we just take for granted. Um, I think each person here would say it's been a blessing to us to be part of that process. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been a joy to get to run with these guys every Saturday or almost every Saturday. And uh, it's such a wonderful thing to be part of. That's great. Isn't that, it's wonderful. So, how, how far are you going to run? Are you going to run the half or the I'm full? Doing, I'm doing the half. How many of you are doing the full marathon? Anyone? No, 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 no. <laughs> the half marathon, you know, I'm willing to drive 26 miles, but running, no thank you. So, uh, I think it's terrific because part of what they're doing with this is we're saying people who are the least of these, people who don't even have safe water, God cares about them. And we want to take a concrete step to be able to help out with that. It's wonderful. And there was a little surprise that I heard, is that there has been a donor who offered $100,000 of matching money. So if you haven't yet donated toward this run to motivate them to run, your money will actually be doubled if you donate toward that. So I want to encourage you to think about that. Let's, let's pray for our runners, and uh, this is a wonderful thing coming out from our church and from our community. Let's pray for them. Lord, thank you for this team and for what it represents. We pray for people who are without safe water in the world, and we're grateful for ministries like World Vision that are mobilizing people to not only know about it, but to do something about it too. So we pray that this will mean that many more children, many more people in the world will have safe water that they can get to. Uh, we pray for our runners also that they will be safe during this time of running and that it will be a, a terrific experience for them together and meeting the community. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And one, one last thing, I love the patches that are on there, and it's, they're also going to be running in, in memory of Lori Kelly, which is wonderful. We are so sad to lose her. Yeah. Thanks,
Thank you, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, we are going to get into our text for today. Of all the things that we are becoming in our world today, I think we can arguably say that we here in the United States are collectively becoming increasingly cynical. Maybe that's the, the, run, the runners we see is probably the least cynical thing I've seen recently. It's wonderful. There was a, a Forbes article from a few years ago that stated, Americans are losing their ability to trust institutions and ha that have historically been guideposts for how we view ourselves and our nation. And if anything, we're actually more cynical now than when that article was written. And, and this isn't simply mistrust in government or other institutions. There seems to be a, an erosion of trust in general in the sincerity of other people. We, we just think, is that really what they think? Is that really what they mean? And the question is for us, is there anything that can turn our cynicism into hope and action? Kind of like our runners. At the beginning of, the chapter, uh, of chapter two of the book of Haggai, we see the prophet Haggai before a group of people who felt really like the community project that they were working on was silly. And it was, it was pitifully small, and it wasn't as good as what they had had before. But God is going to turn this cynicism into hope and action. So let's read from Haggai 2, 1 to 9. For those of you who weren't here last week, we said, hey, there is no shame in using the table of contents in your Bible. It's in the front. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. We're not going to project the words. So you're going to need to grab a, a Bible there from you. Uh, Haggai is the third to last book of the Old Testament. So it's before Malachi, before Zechariah, you can find Haggai. Okay, Haggai, we're going to read chapter 2, 1 to 9. In the second year of King Darius... On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Zerubbabel is the descendant of David, and so the rightful king, the governor of Judah. To Judah, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, so king, high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? We're talking about the temple that had been destroyed. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares 
the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. As we read this text, Lord, from 2,500 years ago, uh, we pray that you will make it something that matters to us today. We pray that our hearts will, will hear what you have to say through this prophet, even through this pastor. So we pray, God, that you will help us to understand your word and to do it well this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, we began this series, four weeks in the book of Haggai, acknowledging that this is a completely neglected book, and uh, it's perhaps even hard for us to find in our Bible. But as we begin to, began to see last week, this prophet who lived over 2,500 years ago has some spiritual insights for us in our contemporary world. We learned that Haggai was speaking to a group of people in Jerusalem who were under the Persian Empire, but who had begun to see a return of people out of exile to come back from the east. And some rebuilding had happened on the temple, but um, this temple that had been destroyed 70-plus uh, years before, work had begun, but then it had ground to a halt 15 years ago. And then in Haggai chapter 1, God speaks to his people to move them to action. And what's, what's amazing is they actually responded when they started. So they started to organize a work effort, but more importantly, there was a change that happened in their hearts. Because it was really important, it wasn't just any building they were building. They were building the temple. This is the symbol of their connection with God. My aim for us today is to think specifically in chapter 2 about our church community. Perhaps you have experienced a lot of hard things in your experience in church. So maybe you are instinctively suspicious this morning. And I want you to know if that's the case, I'm really honored that you're here this morning. That you even chose to be with us. I hope that you will hear God's encouraging voice to push you further along in the journey. God knows you, and he wants to speak to you this morning. What God is going to prescribe like a doctor to his people, he's going to give them, is he wants to deal with the situation like a doctor to his patient. He's going to prescribe to them something. He's going to, for the cynicism he finds in chapter 2, he's going to offer them a three-step intervention He's going to give them a reality check, and then he's going to give two doses of encouragement. So the first, thank you. Uh, so the first step in this intervention, he's going to prescribe a round of heavy reality check. So Haggai asks them, he says, look, look in front of you. What do you see? They're looking at this temple that's been knocked down. You know, they only started working on it a couple of months beforehand. They can't have really gotten very far. And so he says, hey, you people who have saw this before, what does it look like to you? Does it look like nothing? And you know what? The present building probably does kind of look like nothing. There were overthrown stones and a bunch of rubble probably still. And, and I appreciate the honesty of that statement. Haggai's saying, hey, you know what? Take a look at your emotions. What are you, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? And I'm sure they feel discouraged. They would want for this building to be like it was before. I, I wish that this hadn't happened. And, and as the people begin to work on the temple, there is a real chance that those people who are experiencing this kind of discouragement because they remember the amazing temple from before are going to start to discourage other people. It, like Their discouragement is going to start to catch with other people like, and could spread like wildfire. So to deal with this, God, he doesn't turn a blind eye to it. He doesn't say, ah, oh, you know, maybe it'll just go away. But he confronts it head on. 
He says, all right, you're allowed a moment to express yourself. What do you think? What are you seeing here? And I think that they just could say, I, I wish that it was some other way. I wish it wasn't like this. And they're just, I don't know if that's what grieving is for them, but this is what they get a chance to do. I wish it was some other way. And I think there may be for us as well something in our mind that comes to our minds when we, when we think in church, I wish it weren't like this. When you're sitting here this morning, maybe you say, I, I wish it could be like it was before. I, I, in my life, or even in the church, you know, I wish that this church was like the church that I had over in X place. But verse 3 speaks to the thought that the people had. He says, the thought in the people's heart is, I, the past was a lot better, and we can never achieve anything like we saw in the past. But what Haggai does is he pretty deftly turns their eyes from that to look toward the future. He looked at specifically what's right in front of them. And, and we can acknowledge that a part of what the cynics are saying is actually true, right? Cynical people are actually a little bit right. We can admit that. The building that they were building was smaller. But what they're missing is that the situation that they had before wasn't better than what they have now. Their situation that they're already working on, they're starting to make some progress, but they're forgetting that when they had the grand, wonderful temple, the people's hearts were still far from God, and they ended up going into exile. So having the big building didn't protect their hearts from turning away from God. So it's no use to long for those days. Those days had their own trouble. And we ha we're here right now. Maybe it would be good for you if I let you know a little bit about a moment if in my life where I am tempted to think nostalgically about the past. Uh, before I moved here to Simi Valley, a lot of you know that I worked in student ministry, and uh, I was in uh, campus ministry at UC Santa Barbara, and I remember how thrilling it was in Santa Barbara and elsewhere that when all of the freshmen would come in at the beginning of the year. There were lots of new freshmen and transfer students who would come in the beginning of the year. And uh, what we would do is we would, we would help them to move into the dorms. And so our, our ministry was relatively simple. We would come a little bit early and we would meet all these freshmen. We'd have a team of people, I don't know, wear t-shirts all the same or something and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to help you move into the dorm. They'd say, wow, that's great. Thank you. Sure. Here's a box and don't steal my stuff. You know, and like, so we take their things into their dorm room, we'd talk with them, we would usually have to calm the parents down because they were the ones who were like breathing hard, the kid was going off to college. And it was a, an easy thing for us then to say to that person, hey, we're having ice cream on Wednesday, would you like to come join us? And they would come along. It was wonderful. There were people who had been longtime Christians who were looking for relationships with other believers. There were people who were new to Christian spirituality. Both of them could gather together and we would, we would meet and eat ice cream and it was pretty good. And it would lead to us exploring faith together. Beautiful. And I think in our church, we, we would love to see new people coming to faith. And wouldn't it be terrific if the solution was just buying a little bit of ice cream? Wouldn't that be great? But the, the reality is that I know, even at UC Santa Barbara, it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. And our situation is different here, too. So for me, I think back to the past, and I'm tempted just to say, yeah, the solution's ice cream. Don't worry. 
This week, I was thinking about our situation here in Simi Valley, and uh, I thought about it specifically because I went into Vallarta Market over on uh, Los Angeles. I went to go buy some marinated meat. I recommend their marinated meat selection to everyone. Uh, but as I was walking around Vallarta Market, I don't know if you've ever been there, it is not very representative of all of Simi Valley. I was, I think I was the white guy there that day. Uh, but what's funny is I went afterwards to Sprouts to shop for something else. And you know what? Sprouts is not very representative of Simi Valley either. Everybody looked like me at Sprouts. Everybody even had their shirt tucked in, I think. It kind of was like that kind of place. Is your kombucha fresh? Um, so tell me, I, I'm curious, where do you think, where in town could I go where everybody shops? Walmart? Maybe Walmart? Target. Because that day I was on a tear. I was going to all the different markets. I went to Target afterwards and I said, oh my gosh, everybody's here. This is Simi Valley. We all, there are people, everybody goes to Target at some point. You have to now. You know, buy from the small guy, not from Amazon. We buy from Target now. That's the small guy. <laughs> Target has everybody. Young people, old people, every cross-section of our city is there. And you know what? The exercise that I have been doing then recently as I've gone to Target, which inexplicably, I think I've been there four times this week, every time I go to Target is I take a look around and I say, God, what this is our situation. This is us. What would it mean for each of these people to hear the gospel and to respond to you? So I've been praying for people as I walk around, kind of sneaky, secret praying for people. What would it mean for this person to hear the good news? What about this person? What does it mean for them to hear the good news? So for Haggai, the, God's first step in the intervention is for them to take a hard look at who they are and what the situation is. But he, so we can do the same. We can say, this is our real situation. This is who we are. God doesn't leave them in that space. Because we could say, gosh, th this is so hard. There's so many people. God, what are we going to do? So God's second step in his intervention is to prescribe a round of encouragement. And the first, this encouragement is that he is present with them. Verses 4 and 5. Here God speaks to the people through Haggai and he says, now be strong and work. For I'm with you. So he's no longer just addressing now the people who were um, sad about the old temple. He's speaking to the king and the high priest and all of the people who were there. And the thing that they're doing right now is a scary big deal. Right? God, though, doesn't expect them to live off of the challenge he gave them in chapter 1. Like, hey, do this thing and then leaves them be. He gives them a challenge in chapter 1 and now... There's a bit of encouragement that comes in chapter 2. God is with them in this. Uh, when I think about this, I think about a scene from a movie where somebody needs to cross a rope bridge. You know, they, you come out on the rope bridge, and you, it's, like, it's kind of always the same in every movie. You kinda, you're trembling a little bit. You're walking on the rope bridge. And there's always like the hero that's standing there. What does the hero say? Don't look down. Look at me. Look at me! So you're kind of like, okay, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at you. So as you're walking across, you know, there's like, I don't, I don't know, a cat, there's like jagged rocks at the bottom, right? Look at me! And that is exactly what God is doing in this situation. So 
in our increasingly cynical world, we can identify that in ourselves that we, can, we cross big chasms and we say, I don't know if this thing we're doing is worth it. Why should I cross this? This is not worth it. But God is with them. And, and I think in the past when I read things in Scripture that said, when God says, I am with you, I think I always said, I am with you. But for some reason this week as I was going through this, I read it in a different way. I said, I am with you. Like God is saying, who else do you need? I'm here. The situation that they're going to face is still difficult. There's still a road bridge to cross over. It's still, whatever we're facing is still difficult and complicated and scary. But it can be transformed by the knowledge that God is in it with us. There's still a big chasm and a shaky bridge. But God can say to us, look at me. Don't look down, look at me. Look at me, I am with you. So God is in it with us to to give us courage maybe to parent a difficult child or to seek a path forward in a place where our feelings have been hurt. Maybe to, to face money issues, to deal with an ongoing health issue. In, in all these places where we are tempted by our circumstances to, to lead toward bitterness or just to give up, in that, God's prescription is that he reminds us that he's with us. And it, it doesn't make the thing easy that we have to go through but it it somehow transforms it, right? So think about your situation right now. You probably already were. Now imagine yourself that God is with you, beside you, in it. That can change that thing. His final prescription here is that he gives a third round of intervention, and it is to prescribe Another round of encouragement, this time to encourage them that he is at work. I'm working. So God is with them, but he's also doing something. So he, God now peels back some of the layers of what, the, uh, what his grand plans are for the future and the work that he is doing. There, there are people in our church who have a designer's eye, which I do not have. They can look at a building and say, you know what, boy, if we move this wall here, this would be great. Here's your color scheme that you should do. This would be terrific. I think it's amazing because those people, they can imagine what the room will look like even when it's not there. It's amazing to me. And the people of Jerusalem, they were standing in front of this unfinished temple And what God does, he says, I have this designer's eye. I'm going to give you a vision for what your work is headed toward. And the vision of the kingdom is going to be really different from what we're used to experiencing in this broken world. Yeah, we can can kind of be pardoned for being a little bit cynical, to tell you the truth. Because all we have ever experienced is life in a broken world. But God's saying, it isn't going to always be like that. Let me tell you what it looks like if things aren't broken. And what it means is that stuff gets turned upside down from our normal expectations. God's kingdom is so different, it's going to plant a seed of hope in our cynical hearts. Because he's going to shake the power structure of the world. He's going to 
make it so that everybody is valued. Everything is off, isn't it? He's going to draw people to himself instead of all this being spread out, and then he's going to bring a lasting peace. So he's going to shake this power structure in the world. The, the Lord says that in a little while he's going to shake everything, the heavens and the earth and the sea and the, all the nations and all that stuff. And this, this biblical idea of shaking means that to upset the established order of things. And this is good news to people who are living in Jerusalem at the time. They lived in a world where their daily fate was determined by some king far off in Persia who didn't know anything about their circumstances and they were just at the, that person's mercy of their whim. And they had been experiencing that. But what this says to us is that God is the one who is ultimately in control. And he is the one who has the ability to shake everything. So the, the power dynamic in the world that's still operating now says if you are the emperor of Persia, you matter most. But the message of the gospel tells us that the king of all kings came to serve. He sacrificed himself for you and for me. And, and that gives value then to everybody. It gives us value even in our, our daily work, whatever it is that you do. It turns the power structure of the world inside out. So what the world would give value to, Christians will not just say that career is the best. We give value to everyone in whatever their calling and life is. We, we value everyone from preschool kids, right? Even though I think pretty much every preschool kid is unemployed, really. <laughs> and we also, we, we care about people who were around before preschool was invented, right? Yeah, that's right. I think a bunch... A bunch of those folks are unemployed too, aren't they? Yeah. Right. Oh, they call it retired. Retired is what it's called. I'm sorry. It's retired. Whatever. <laughs> the point is, we all have value in our daily lives, wherever we are doing. If we can live our daily lives with, with purpose and with value, because our lives can point toward the kingdom of God and his priorities. So our ministry and our daily life can then, they're turning over the social order in a way, a very quiet way sometimes. Whether it's by being, you're a police officer and you are protecting marginalized people, innocent people who, from others who are violent and greedy. Or maybe because you are an attentive grandma who invests in the next generation. Those have value because you're giving value to people and people matter to God. So after this shaking that takes place, the people are going to bring their treasures into God's house, and this is an image of God drawing people to himself. And Haggai's word here is, is actually accomplished in his present time, right? They were given a bunch of money from the Persian emperor to go rebuild the temple, so literally money from some other country is coming into the temple. But more fundamentally, this passage is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Malachi, two books after this one, writes of Christ's first coming. He says, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to this temple, Malachi 3.1. And the final fulfillment lies in the future when 
the Lord God and the Lamb are the temple. It's not going to be a building. It's going to be the Lord himself. This is from Revelation, right? Almost the last chapter. It's chapter 21. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it. This is Revelation 21, 22. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Do you hear this in Revelation? It's echoing from our book of, Hosea, of Haggai here. On no day will its gates ever be shut, and there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. So, we've said the size of the temple doesn't matter. The building mattered because God dwelt there. It's where he was worshipped. And God will be worshipped. And he points to this future time where people all over the world are going to come and bring their glory to him. And our church's significance by how much noise we make or how tall our steeple is. We don't, we don't have a steeple, do we? It's not a steeple. Um, but it, we are significant because God dwells here. It's significant if God is worshipped here. So we can ask ourselves in our different ministries, how are we making Christ attractive to people from various backgrounds? Different cultures and languages, different age groups, in different life stages. And third, he's going to bring lasting peace. This is, this is terrifically encouraging. The, his, this is what God is doing. This is his work that he's aiming toward. And the people of Jerusalem, to, to these people, the, it, that Haggai was speaking to them was already a big deal. God is speaking to them. But they took it for granted that nations wage war. That's what they do. In, in our country, we've had kind of a, a time of peace here in our own country. But the, the world as a whole demonstrates the human bent toward war. And although the people in Haggai's day weren't facing open hostilities, they still were under the thumb of the Persians. And so what Haggai is announcing is completely beyond comprehension. It, that God's kingdom will have a lasting peace assured by God himself. So our ministry and our work ought to point toward this God who brings peace. Whether it's a ministry of calling people to make peace with God, or maybe making peace with your family, or making peace with our past. I think about maybe our care and compassion team that we've got in our church these are people who visit, people who are ill. And by doing this, they are offering a moment of peace to people who are feeling very vulnerable. So this third step in God's inter cynicism intervention is to encourage with people with the work that he's doing. That's what he's at. So he's establishing his kingdom where the, the power dynamic of the world gets turned around, where the kingdom is attractive to people from all different cultures and where God's peace is established. Brothers and sisters, our peace, or our peace, our, our future isn't going to look like our past. Our future is not going to look like our past. How, it can't. The world keeps changing. But we don't need to give up because God is with us and he has a plan for the future. And those plans are amazing. So we can be strengthened today 
to do God's work. Will you invite God to be with you, to be present with you? It says, be strong and work, for I am with you. And we can work in a direction that points toward what God is doing. I think all of us can be a little less cynical if we take God's prescription to heart. The Lord's Supper also points to these same things. Points to God's grand designs for the kingdom. Because it's a place where the hierarchy of the world is flattened out. Where the rich and poor gather together for the same meal. And now in the 21st century, we can see that this meal is also one that that gathers people from all over the world. Here in California, we're near the end of Sunday, but people from all over the world have been celebrating the Lord's Supper all day long. People in Africa and Asia. They've gathered around this simple meal to proclaim that Christ Jesus is Lord and his salvation is found. Salvation is only found in him. And they do this by taking a simple piece of bread and a simple bit of juice or wine. And with this, procl- this meal, we also proclaim that the way that Christ waged peace in the world was to give himself. The Apostle Paul tells us that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to tell us that in the same way after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. Paul then reminds us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes again. The servers can come forward. Matt, you can come forward as well. Worship team as well. This is the Lord's table. It is Jesus himself who invites you to this meal. We are going to be, uh, today, I think I told you before, we're going to be trying a few different ways of uh, doing communion for the next few months. So today we're going to have you stay in your seats and we're going to be bringing it to you and passing it to you. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to pass out the bread. You can hold it. We'll pass out the cup and then we will take them all together. Okay. This table is open to anyone who proclaims Christ as Lord. If you want more of Jesus, you are invited and welcome to partake. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these elements. Thank you for this moment that we give to you in worship. We also receive from you as a sign of the gospel. We pray that we will believe it, that when we receive you, we are forgiven, and that we can live our life in faith with you. In Christ's name, amen.